Uh, we're continuing our backyard conversation series with a message entitled "Beware of Dogs." And so uh, that for me brings up all kinds of things in my head. But um, and I had a whole message ready to go in one direction. Um, that maybe when you hear of uh, "Beware of Dogs," that you, you start thinking of. And I think we're we're just going to go a totally different direction today. Because that's fun. Uh, but I'm excited about uh, where God has been. As I started really kind of pressing into the scripture and started uh, going back into the history and reading the commentaries on it and all these things, how God kept on bringing to the forefront of my mind. And I was like, really? That's not what I would have done with that, Lord. Okay. And I said, fine, I'll, I'll listen to you. And it's a, a beautiful thing to think about when you start engaging in the scripture that your thought process of what you think you think and you start reading the scripture and having God's word being poured into your mind, into your heart, your thought process and what you think you know starts to shift. That's the power of the scripture. And so that is what happened today when we started writing this message. Uh, today is all about the messy conversations that happen maybe in your backyard. And you have to be in proximity to someone. You have to be close to someone. You have to be engaged with someone to actually have these kind of conversations. They're the they're heart-to-heart kind of conversations. They're the conversations where the real stuff starts to come forward, right? These are few and far between. I mean, every conversation that you have is not this earth-shaking, tell-me-your-deepest-feelings kind of conversation, but they're still important conversations. And I think as who we are as people, as people who are trying to follow after Christ with, with our lives. We've got to navigate these messy conversations well. And I don't know about you, but I have friends who do stupid things. Am I the only one? Probably, right? I'm the only one that has a, fr- a friend that I disagree with. I'm the only one. And those conversations, where are you going to meet them at in that conversation? How do you show them the love of Christ? How do you show them the love of God in all these conversations without coming across as judgmental and mean-spirited? How do we do that? Because as we find ourselves in a country right now, we've got to be able to navigate those conversations extremely well. And so we're going to spend the rest of the time kind of talking about how to do that. That's where we're going today. So if you are the perfect conversation artists and you never, you, all your messy conversations come around with rose petals and puppy dog tails, then you can check out. But everybody, for the rest of us, you, you can pay attention today, okay? Um, so backyard conversations will be messy. And as I thought about this, as ever I ever think about beware of dogs, there's a certain animal that pops into your head when you hear the, the, the thing, beware of dogs. And for all of you, it was either a pit bull, a Rottweiler, or a Doberman. And maybe a few of you German shepherds. When I say beware of dogs, you think, ah! and you think mean Animal. I think of uh, Sandlot, the movie Sandlot, and the the big beast with the, the jowls and the slobber and all that stuff. I, I don't, that's sorry about my brain. That's what happens to it. And I think about that and this beware of dogs. I have some angst when I even I see a sign called beware of dogs. I automatically judge you if you are a person who owns a sign that says beware of dogs. You might have a four pound chihuahua and has a sign that says beware of dogs. And I'm like, well, why can't you control your dog? This is, I'm going to go ahead and be upfront with you. I am a, a bigot 
dealing with certain dog breeds. This is something I'm working on, but it is, I have a personal history and experiences that jade me towards not liking certain breeds of dogs. When I was seven years old, I was bitten by a Doverman pincher. It was a Doverman that I knew. I did not do the typical seven-year-old boy thing and was causing problems. I was petting it, not pulling on its tail. I had pet, known this dog for years, and I'm just sitting there in a room, and it just reaches up and my face. I have a scar. It's a J. I have my initials in my face. I didn't even have to pay a tattoo artist for that. And it, it bit me. And so whenever I enter a room, enter the presence of a pit bull, a Rottweiler, or a Doberman, I am a different person. I'm like that. It just, it is. I try to get over it. It, it can't. I was asked at, at Atlanta airport or, or Midway, one of the two, I was coming off the plane and the police officer stops me and says, can we, can we put something on you? We're trying to train a, our dog. <laughs> I felt like this is a setup. And I was like, well, in my mind, I was like, I don't care. And I was like, wait a minute, what kind of dog is it? Because if it's a Doberman and that thing alerts, I am wetting myself. <laughs> and I'm not, not, I would. I, it's, it's, I think about it, I start to get a little verklempt right here, okay? And he's like, oh, it's a lab. I was like, oh, sure. Sure, put whatever you want on me. It's a lab. Just sniff me all you want. I don't care. It's a lab. Right? Lab, golden retriever. Let's have a party. If I come over to your house and you have a lab, a golden retriever, you know, a cocker spaniel, whatever it is, if it's not a Rottweiler, pit bull, or Doberman pincher, I'm on the ground. You know, it's got we're best buddies forever. But if it's one of those breeds, they have a perception problem. Pit bulls, Rottweilers, they all have a perception problem. I know if you own one, you're like, oh, my baby's so loving. I'm like, oh, that's good for you. We have a, a young woman in our church who has a massive pit bull. It is the size of the dog in Sandlot. It is huge. This thing is probably a 120-pound pit bull. And she also has two very small children. It's uh, Alicia Abernathy. You may know her. She, uh, we dedicated her daughter um, a year ago, and, and she just gave birth to a beautiful little boy named Axel, and we're so, we'll be introducing him to you soon. Uh, but uh, she couldn't be here today if she really wanted to, because I'm going to use her dog as an illustration. Um, and his name is Jax. And if we could put a picture of Jax up. This is Jax and Abby. Now, you notice that Abby is sitting in Jax's Lap. You also notice his head is as big as her whole body. If this is my child, it's not going near this dog. Next picture. But Abby uses him as a horse. I, this is not a dog. If you know Alicia at all, you know she's never going to put her child in a place that she thinks is dangerous at all. And this is what Abby does to Jax. He is her horse. There's the next picture. Or stool. <laughs> I've seen these pictures. I liked these pictures on Facebook. I laughed at them just like you did. But when I went over to Alicia's house, what was the first thing that I did? I got to know where Jax is. Right? I'm like, I walked in and I'm like, I'm a grown man. Oh, where is Jax? I'm trying to be cool. and Because uh, Alicia, Alicia has some, uh, I, I don't want to get this wrong. I think uh, the family's been in the Army or the Marines, one of the two. 
I'm sorry, you guys are awesome, either one. (laughs) No no putting down, I know they're going to hurt me on that one. But I'm these grown, tattooed men just, and I'm like, I can't be a sissy about this dog. So I'm like, where's Jax? And and where's he at? And like kids are running up to me. I'm like, yeah, 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 fine, whatever. Uh, Where's the dog? I got to know where the dog is because my heart rate is going crazy. I got to figure out what is going on with this. Because of past experience for me and the perception that this dog wants to eat my face off. Right? Pit bulls have a perception problem. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, knows that people have a perception problem as well. Turn with me. Philippians 3. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, we who worship the Spirit of God, who, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Verse 2, if you could go back to it, please. Watch out for those Dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Who are these dogs that he is speaking of? They are Jewish Christians. That's who the dogs that we got to watch out for are. Isn't this interesting? He's not talking about maybe the Romans coming to attack you or, or being persecuted by Greek people. He's talking about Christians who are pro- probably coming over from Israel to Philippi. Remember, the church in Philippi is the first European city, or first European church. It's the first one. They don't have access. They don't have all the, uh, the baggage or even the foundation of the Torah of the Old Testament. They don't know who Moses is. They don't know who Noah is. They don't know who David is. They don't know why they're supposed to eat certain foods. They, they like bacon just like everybody else does. They, they operate like everybody else and they didn't participate in the circumcision. And this is a big thing in the first century church. And so when these Jews that become Christians are coming over to the church of Philippi. They think they're going to help. They think they're going to be, oh, we're going to go help this little, this little church out. This is going to be great. And they come over and they start saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't eat bacon. Don't get between me and my bacon. Just saying. This is bad for evangelism. You can't, you can't eat that. What do you mean you're not circumcised? Well, you can't do it. What? Huh? No. And they start putting all these rules and all these obligations that aren't the main thing, that aren't about Jesus saving them and promising eternal life for them. It's not about those things. And Paul's like, no, 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 don't you mess with my babies. You can hear it in his voice, right? Don't don't, don't you mess with them. We fought this battle. I've yelled at Peter. I've yelled at everybody. We had a big deal with James, brother of Jesus. We voted. Circumcision doesn't have to apply to new Christians. But people still, they couldn't get over that. They, they were around it. They were like, no, no, no. But, you know, you can be a Christian, but if you really want to be a Christian, you got to take it to the next level. Once again, bad for evangelism. Bad for uh, baby Christians. Bad for the fledgling church. They don't have all the, that baggage. They don't know all this stuff. And I, I wonder, and can you imagine someone coming into your church and saying, you're doing it all wrong? What do you mean we're doing it all wrong? We love Jesus. We're worshiping God, 
We're helping people. What do you mean we're doing it wrong? Well, you didn't do this rule right. I thought that rule didn't apply anymore. Well, maybe. And they're and they're barking and they're biting and they're hurting people and telling them their way of life isn't good enough, even though they don't even have the foundation or never even applied that to their lives. Christians today in our country, I think, can be known as dogs. And we're barking up trees that have no foundation. And we're biting people and hurting them. And we're gaining the perception of pit bulls. Or I want the perception of a golden retriever. We attack in things that maybe don't even have to be attacked. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, what a beautiful opportunity for our church, for our country. I bemoan the fact that we have had two and a half generations, that prayer has not been in school, that they're not reading. Our kids aren't going to learn the Bible in school. That our culture as a whole is biblically illiterate. We don't. Everyone has access to 18,000 Bibles. You can have one today in your service. As you're sitting there, you're like, I need a Bible. You could download it right now in the next 45 seconds. But we don't read it. We don't know it. Our culture doesn't adhere to it. We have a presidential candidate. This is not a uh, endorsement of said presidential candidate. It is just a story I heard this week. He's a good guy so far, but it's not my endorsement. I don't get involved in endorsing people for, for office, okay? But Ben Carson was asked this week, <clears throat> what had more authority, the Bible or the Constitution? And Ben Carson's a very, very smart man. And he started, he was like, hmm, I smell a trap. And he, he kind of paused a little bit and said, well... I think we got to talk about the specifics of the question that you're asking and blah, 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 blah. And it's a non-answer. If you are a Christian, the scripture is the authority of your life over the Constitution. If the Constitution says something and the scripture says something else, and you are a Christian, that God is Lord of your life, the Bible wins. God beats Thomas Jefferson. Rock, paper, scissors, he wins, okay? (laughs) The Bible also beats your personal opinion and whatever you think. It wins. That's just the way it is. And we we get away from that and we we fall away from that and we we mess it up. But he was put in this weird spot because what was going to happen is some Yahoo that doesn't have a relationship with God, that doesn't believe that the scripture is authoritative, was going to find some random verse in Leviticus that talked about stoning somebody because they killed a cow. And take it out of context and out of purpose and just beat Carson down with it and destroy his whole presidential campaign if he would have said the Bible's authoritative. That's, it was a setup question. It was basically like a Pharisee asking Jesus a question like, oh, I'm going to get you now. And Carson said, wait a minute, I smell something cooking here. He can't say that in the political referendum, even if it's true that the Bible is the most authoritative thing here. Here's the rub. Here's the problem is if you're not saying God is Lord of my life, the Bible's not authoritative to you. If I'm not saying I'm I'm surrendering myself to God, the Bible's it doesn't. Why would it be? That's a standard of things that people don't even know. Why? Why? Why would I adhere to that? 
This is why people think when we say homosexual marriage is wrong, people look at us like, what are you talking about? I thought you guys were all about love. Yeah, I understand that. We still are all about love, but we adhere to this principles that marriage is a man between a man and a woman. When we adhere to that, that, that rubs people wrong. They're like, what is going on? Because they're not sitting underneath the authority of the Scripture. We have to come back to that and say, okay, okay, okay. The main thing is God loves you and has a plan for your life, and He wants to redeem you from the mess that you've gotten yourself into and has a hope and a future for you. That's the main thing. We can deal with that other stuff. Those are symptoms of the cancer of sin. We can deal with the other things. As they come closer to God, hope people will see Oh, I got to get rid of that. I got to get rid of this. I got to get rid of that. Oh, this makes more sense. As you fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Christ, that's how that happens. As we surrender ourselves more and more and more to the scripture, life change starts to happen. But we sometimes, because we have people in the media like Westboro Baptist Church who would picket Jesus if he was walking the earth right now, that act like pit bulls and they grab onto it and they bite and murder and they got the perception. So if I talk to my neighbors about church, they all of a sudden treat me different. People find out I'm a pastor, dinner all of a sudden tastes different to them. They eat faster. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I have a group of guys that I play video games with. Kevin introduced me to them. It's hilarious. And for the first couple of times, he was like, yeah, it's my boss. And like, they didn't really realize that because his boss would be a pastor, I don't think for a little bit. And then all of a sudden realized... He's a pastor. And all of a sudden, all the cursing stopped. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) okay. And then it's just, it's just been interesting as we've talked and we've gotten to know each other and all of a sudden different questions have come out and things like that. But it's just funny. All of a sudden, I I don't know what to do. Like people are become stutterers all of a sudden. And I don't don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what is going on. And that, that, that happened because people have been bitten so hard. They're like, how is this guy going to react to these things? It's the same thing. Somebody walking into this church, a non-believer walking into a church next Sunday. If we see anybody new coming into the, the doors, you've got to treat them with the most respect in the world. You know how scary it is to walk into a room with 130 perfect strangers? And then go, hey, where's my lunch? <laughs> because that's actually what's happening next week. In their, in their mind. So we have to just, and think of it, if they've been hurt in any way, shape, or form, if they've been spiritually abused by any churches or, or Christians in their lives, it's like what, me walking into a room full of 130 pit bulls. They all might be like Jacks and let me ride on his head. But that's the perception. Does this make sense? As we deal with our community, as we deal with people, as we step into their lives, as we speak into their lives, we have to always be going, no, 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 no. My perception needs to be that of a golden retriever, not of a pit bull. How do we do this? How do we have these messy conversations? How do we do it well? We offer, we choose to help. This is the second time in this series that I've done an acrostic. I'm pretty excited about it. Choose to help. Help will be our acrostic today. <laughs> Choose to help. If you know anything about golden retrievers, I just got one. So they're kind of high on my list right now. But uh, if you, let me tell you this though, they know how to bite. I got scrapes. My kids are like bleeding all over the place because I got razor blades instead of teeth as a puppy. They know how to bite just like a pit bull does. Right? Actually, there's more bites from golden retrievers every year than pit bulls. 
Well, that statistic breaks down because there's about 80 million more golden retrievers than pit bulls. So, of course, they're going to get that. But they bite, too. They all, all dogs have the capacity to bite. But when you look at a service dog, it's a golden retriever. It's a lab. And they have to wear a sign that says, please don't pet me. I'm working. You notice that on the side? It says, please don't pet me. I'm working. I've never seen a Rottweiler with a sign that said, please don't pet me. Right? The collar that has spikes into their neck if they pull too hard says, I'm not going to pet you. You can't be controlled. I'm just going to walk away. Right? That's the only time I'd pet a Rottweiler is if the owner is like bear hugging the head and pulling it away from me. I'm like, that's what it is. You don't have to tell a golden retriever. No one has to say, oh, Oh, please pet me. You know, their, their face just says, hey, how you doing? I'm Doug, right? They just go with it. And you, you want to pet them. You want to be around them. You want to be like, ah, oh, you make my life better. Thanks. <laughs> the up reference got him. <laughs> so, you want to be around them. No one, we are wearing signs that, are they saying, pet me or not pet me? I don't know. We've got to choose to help. H is offer hope. This is how we do this in a, in a, a real life, practical talk to someone and speak into their lives. Offer hope. Hope speaks through culture. Hope penetrates hurt. Hope penetrates hard hearts. Offer hope. This is a beautiful way to start. We ask the question. We, we question ourselves all the time. What do, I, what do I do here? How does this work? How do I talk to somebody about Jesus? How do I even bring up the subject? When you're having the heart-to-heart kind of conversation with somebody, when you're having the, the messy conversation on the backyard conversation, you offer hope to them and say, you know what? It's going to get better. And this is how it got better for me. And that transition statement is just how you tell your story. You don't have to have all the answers. The best evangelism process is, I know Jesus loves you. I know he loves me. He's got a better plan for you. You got a question? Let's call Jared. <laughs> right? That's okay. That, that, that is totally fine. And then I'll go, I'll get back to you, because I don't know the answer to that question either. But I'll get back to you. We don't have to have all the answers. We have the answer to know that God loves them and cares for them. And we know our story where I once was this, and now I'm this. And the difference is Jesus entered my life. That's offering hope to people. We don't have to be scared to do that. If they're they're close enough friends with you to have these messy conversations, it's just offering hope. It's our H. Our E for help is this. Elevate. Lift them up. I see this in you. I am so impressed when this happens. And some people, it's hard to figure those other things out. Sometimes their day is so bad that it's really hard to pick them up, but they need someone to pick them up because this is what God is doing constantly. Jesus is doing this constantly over and over again to the least of these, to the, the woman caught in adultery. She is sitting there naked, caught in adultery. It is a bad day for her reputation. And what is he doing? He is 
consoling her and, and getting the attention off of her and bringing her up. He elevates her. How do we do this for our friends, for the people that we're having conversations with? How do we elevate them? Remember, the object is to be perceived as someone who cares for them because you represent a God who cares for them. Third thing is this, love. H-E-L, love, love, love someone. There's a story in the scripture found in Luke chapter 10. You can read it on your own, but I'm going to tell it just really briefly here. It is the story of the good Samaritan. My mother is dressed as a mad scientist right now in the back window, and it totally hijacked me. Um, If your kids are in kindergarten or first grade today, I guarantee you they had a blast, okay? Um, We got to black out those windows or something. That's going to (laughs) happen. Sorry. Love. There's a story called the Good Samaritan. (laughs) And the Good Samaritan happens this. It is in response to a gotcha question. It is a response to a Pharisee trying to pin Jesus down. He says, well, who's my neighbor? And he's looking for, you know, who can I exclude from this area of my life? And what happens is Jesus just blows it up. He tells a story. He says, there's guys, he's walking down the road and he gets hijacked and beat up and they steal his money and they throw him in the ditch on the side of the road and they and the bad guys go away and then a priest walks by and a and a historian walks by and a and and a and a religious person walks by and they're all just like oh man that guy's beat up and they keep on walking by and they don't do anything about it but then there's this samaritan who shows up this guy and he, he looks at the ditch and the guy in the ditch and he helps him up and he tends his wounds and he takes him to some health care and the, the radical part about that is if we think about a Samaritan and even in our own culture, if we don't know the history of what a Samaritan is, like, oh, hospitals are named after Samaritans. There's a good Samaritan law that if you know uh, first aid, you need to stop when the, when, if you see a wreck or someone in duress. There's good Samaritan. That, this guy must have been a good dude. No. Samaritans were the dregs of society. The Samaritans basically turned on the, betrayed the Jewish people over to um, the Babylonian Empire. And so when the Jews came back, guess who was not on their high list? But Jesus takes these lowest of low people and says, that guy had compassion. That guy had mercy. I'm going to elevate him. That's the kind of... We need to love even the Samaritans because you never know who's going to be there. Love, love, love. The Jew that was found on the side of the road didn't talk to the Samaritan about how theologically wrong he was. He didn't tell him how uh, misplaced his, uh, his ancestors were. He didn't argue with him and say, don't touch me. Right? That wasn't the love broke down all of those things. For us, this means find out how we can love the person. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. It is Jesus' job to save them. Okay? Now, I know I split apart the Trinity there. They're all this one God, too. It's God's job to convict, to restore, to provide for. It's our job to love. That was our commandment. 
What does it say? In response, Jesus says, what, what, what do you, what's the greatest commandment? And this guy, the guy that's testing gives the right answer. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, good job, you got it right. The guy doesn't know what to do with that. And that's the same commandment for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Nowhere in there it says judge your neighbor, yell at your neighbor, berate him on Facebook because you don't really know anybody that's like this. It doesn't say that. It says love them. When Paul says beware of dogs, he's saying watch out for anyone who is barking and yapping and keeping people from the kingdom of God. Finally, the P. If you thought it was prayer, you're wrong. It's present. Be present. I got Kelly. I asked, I had pop quizzed her, and she was like, I thought you were gonna go with prayer. To be present with someone, to be there with them, to be with them. This is something that's hard. This is something that's difficult for people to do. Because you actually have to be knee to knee, elbow to elbow, nose to nose with somebody to be present with them. You can't be present with somebody over Facebook. You can't be present with them in a text message. We have a whole generation of people who are like not knowing how to actually talk to people. I tell you what, the boy who asked my daughter out over text and comes to my house is in trouble already. And that's going to happen in 40 years. So... Like, no, you know, no, 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 no. There's a phone. It's still attached. It works. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> Be present. The standard that Jesus gives us is to love God, to love people. These are the things. Pre- presence. Walking through some with somebody, crying with somebody. Some of the best conversations I've had, I never said a word. When you can stand there in a room with someone who's brokenhearted and just hang on. We need to be present with people. And maybe that means we need to slow down in our own worlds and what's going on, but to be truly present with them and have these conversations. If you're not having these conversations, a couple questions for you. Are you perceived as a pit bull? Or are you just too busy? Either one's a negative. Let's choose to help. Ask yourself, am I a pit bull or am I a golden retriever? Let's choose to help. Let's offer hope. Let's elevate the people around us. Let's love them. And let's be present. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this time together. Lord, we ask you to bless us and guide us as we try to be present, try to be people who help our community. And God, I pray for our hearts and our our minds and even our nerves as we think about inviting people to the block party next week. God, that you would inundate us with this idea of how to love people well. God, that we could put, push through some of the perceptions that people may have about us and show them who you are through who we are. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.